getting towards uh, the end of the book of Philippians, and uh, there's a disclaimer I want to give to our study tonight that could go with just about everything that I teach, but uh, I feel the need particularly to emphasize it as we're studying the topic today. Uh, the, The disclaimer is, and this happens particularly when you go through a book verse by verse, is that I don't have a a lot of qualifications to speak about the topic which the text brings up. Uh, And the the topic that's really going to be addressed in in the passage we're looking at is is the idea of contentment. Now, I want you to know that this is an area that the, the Lord and the Holy Spirit are working on a lot in my life. So as we come to this text, it's not me presenting, you know, my accomplishments in terms of having achieved contentment. But it's me coming to the scriptures and realizing that I need to be submitted under them. I don't have a lot of wisdom or insight to add to this topic. I don't have a lot that I can share with you about how to achieve contentment, but I believe that the scriptures do. That the Holy Spirit speaking through the words of Paul does have something to say about this. So despite my inadequacy, we will be relying heavily on the adequacy of the scriptures. Uh, There's a problem that most of us face, and it is the problem of relying on things or relying on our physical circumstances to be joyful. And throughout the book of Philippians, I hope at some point uh, you just take the book of Philippians and sit down and read through it in one sitting. We don't always read the Bible like that, but I think there are occasions, particularly with the epistles, the letters that are written, where that's a very helpful practice to do. Just sit down, read it beginning to end. Uh, You know, a lot of times we might be more inquisitive. We'll read a couple verses and think, oh, what does that mean? I'll try and explore. But there really is a benefit to reading from the beginning of a book to an end of a book because you begin to see these patterns and cycles that occur throughout the book. And throughout the book of Philippians, one of the things you'll see is that Paul in chapter 1 says that he's going to rejoice in the Lord as the gospel is being preached. And then as he he goes on, he seems to have this refrain that he keeps repeating in the book. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. One of the reasons why he emphasizes this is so that the Philippian believers who are experiencing persecution from the local civil authorities can find joy despite their circumstances. It's something that Paul models for the Philippians as he himself is in prison in Rome awaiting trial. The trial could have an outcome of his release or his death and condemnation. Most people believe that in this imprisonment he is released, but later on he will be brought, brought to Rome again and will not escape without being condemned to die for his faith. Um, As we said, Paul is in prison, and while he was in prison, the Philippian church heard about it, 
and decided to send him a financial gift. Throughout his ministry, the Philippians had been very active in financially supporting Paul. We learned this from Philippians. We hear about in Acts. And Paul even commends the Philippians in some of his other letters for their generosity in his ministry. Um, They send him a gift. One of the reasons why they send him a gift is because the Romans were really pragmatic people. And if they arrested you, they didn't think that was an excuse to stop buying your own food or paying your own bills. So as you're in prison, you imagine you can't really do much work. You're under arrest. Yet you're having to provide for yourself. You're having to pay your bills. You're having to buy food, clothing, and other necessities. So the Philippians send this gift to Paul so that he can continue to live and and function while he's in prison. That's what's mentioned beginning in verse 10 and uh, a little further than even our section today when he talks about them reviving their concern for him. They're talking about this financial gift that was brought by Epaphroditus to Paul in prison. Let's look now at the text, Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray now that you would bless our time of studying your word, of submitting ourselves to your word. May we be transformed by the hearing of your word. Lord, may it have a reach not only into our minds, but also into our hearts. That we might become a people that look more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would send your Holy Spirit to strengthen us for this task, to work in us, to accomplish your purposes for us. In the precious and beautiful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Uh, what Paul is doing here is a little bit of a, a delicate thing. He, he's thanking people who have been supporting him financially. And, and one of the things uh, that happens, I, I grew up as a missionary kid, so I know a little bit about this. Uh, as a missionary kid, your, your parents are relying upon donations and gifts of other people in order to support them in the overseas ministry. And one of the things you, you have to do in that situation is you have to be very grateful and thankful, but at the same time, you've kind of not got to make it all about the money. You know, as a, as a missionary, that's not your primary focus. Your primary focus is the work of the ministry and the Lord. So Paul has this delicate task uh, of thanking them, but at the same time, not making it all about the money or the financial gift. And he he does so in a very interesting way. Uh, First of all, we see that he says he rejoices in the Lord. Uh, The scriptures tell us that every good and perfect gift is from above. 
One of the things that the Philippians gift to Paul did was give Paul an occasion to be thankful and rejoice in the Lord. So the the Philippians gift facilitates Paul's thanks and worship to God. One of the things Paul realizes is that every good and perfect gift is from above, but oftentimes God's gifts come through God's people. And that they are the ones that God is using to bless him. So he says he's thankful for this. He rejoices in the Lord that they are concerned about him. He says that before they were concerned, but they didn't have an opportunity for giving. Maybe Paul was far away or they didn't know where he was. We've mentioned that Paul's life is a little bit like a wandering vagabond. And so, you know, we don't necessarily know where he is or he might not have been as much in communication with Philippi or he may not have had any particular financial need that they could supply. He said, so they've always been concerned about him, but now they had an opportunity to minister to them. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. This this is a, uh, a shocking passage. And I think it's an important passage for us to understand, particularly in our day and time. Because we all have a choice. We have a choice between being covetous or content. And the society we live in is really largely built around being covetous. There are whole industries that are geared around making you want what you do not have. Making you want what somebody else has. There's there's a lot of money in that. And uh, we, we see that there are different ways that people try and overcome this covetousness, this desire for things that other people have. One way that our, our society recommends it to overcome covetousness is to adjust your circumstances. So if you want something that your neighbor has, if you want something that somebody else has, the way to overcome that covetousness is to acquire what you want to adjust your circumstances to meet your desires. And we all know that this can fail in multiple ways. It can fail after you get it, you find it's not quite as satisfying as you thought it was and think, well, maybe it's something else that somebody else has that'll make me content. It can also fail because there are certain situations where we can't attain what others have. I, th- I think of this anytime I hear somebody sing up here. I think, man, I wish I had a voice like that. But I don't. There's only so much I can do with the voice I've got. So one of the ways people try and do it is to adjust their circumstances. We see that that can fail in multiple ways. There's another way. It's, it's less popular in our circumstances, but it is a part of our culture and that's the idea of eliminating your desires. You, you want what somebody else has, so the, the goal is just to eliminate any desire you have, and that'll deal with this covetousness issue. And, and this is very popular um, 
you know, in Stoic thinking or uh, now in Buddhist thinking, you know, it's a very Zen idea. Just, you know, if you want what other people have, just let that go. Uh, but even that can have its problems. You know, you can even uh, realize that you you still have desires and then you covet those people who are better at giving up their desires than you are. You know, it, 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 it still reaches in. And it's it's also ultimately denying a, a, a very human part of us. There are certain desires that are intrinsic, that are important. Paul gives us a, a different way. He has us adjust our contentment. He adjusts his contentment to the circumstances he is in. Instead of adjusting the thermometer of life's circumstances, he adjusts what he's wearing to match the temperature of the time. One of the things that's uh, encouraging to know is that this isn't something that's automatic for Paul. It's not something he just all of a sudden accomplished or attained, but it's something that he had to work for. Did you notice he says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul, throughout his life, had experienced quite a lot of sufferings. When you, when you look at a, a sheet of all the things he's been through, the imprisonments, the stonings, the shipwrecks, ultimately giving his life for the sake of Christ, all this suffering. By the way, rem- remember he was a Pharisee, studied under Gamaliel. Uh, who do you think his friends were when he was a Pharisee? Probably other Pharisees, right? When he comes to Christ, having been a persecutor of the church, how do you think his friends reacted? How do you think his family, who may have sent him to Gamaliel for his studying, for his training, felt after he converted? Paul, earlier in the book of Philippians, it tells us, indeed, or, but whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul changes his contentment. He has a contentment that's not tied to any earthly thing. He has a contentment that is tied to a heavenly person. Now, if you look at the life of Paul and ask yourself the question, all right, if his contentment, if his joy was found in his earthly circumstances, what would Paul's life look like? What would his joy look like? I mean, you know, it'd look like a really bad stock market. You know, it'd be bouncing up and down all the time. 
But instead, he finds his joy, his contentment in the Lord. He puts it in a place where it will rest secure. He says it's something that he learns. Uh, There are certain virtues that have to be learned, that have to be earned. It's only going through the difficult circumstances and trusting and reinvesting his joy in Jesus Christ that allow him to be able to say that he knows how to survive these circumstances. Uh, someone once said, I believe it's the Pur- a Puritan, his name is William Ames. He said that an inordinate love of ourself is a cause of covetousness. When, when we're looking to others and trying to gain, trying to, trying to get what they have, is because we have an inordinate love of ourselves. One of the cures for overcoming covetousness is by rightly ordering our loves. Paul has a concern and a love for Jesus Christ above everything else. So he can go through anything with joy, knowing that his faithfulness brings Christ glory and honor, despite his suffering, despite his pain. We see this throughout the book of Philippians, that God can use the difficulty, the suffering, the pain to bring him glory. Christ being the foremost example of one who laid down and poured out his life for the benefit of others and to the glory of God. Paul says, that's my Lord. I want to follow him. I want to obey him. Another thing I I want to emphasize as we look at this is that Paul says this type of contentment that finds its sustenance in the person and work of Jesus Christ allows us to overcome all sorts of circumstances. He he says this contentment has uh, helped him to learn how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstances, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. One of the things I notice in this passage is that Paul's very astute. There are some of us that are able to overcome the temptations and the problems of being brought low, being in dire straits and being in difficult situations. But we don't know how to deal with prosperity. We don't know how to deal with blessing and good things. So for some people, it's reversed. As long as everything's going well and going great, they're able to follow the Lord cheerfully and joyfully. But then the minute something goes wrong, they turn on him and say, what's going on? Which really means that they want God to serve them rather than having a God that they serve. Going back to those who have difficulty with prosperity, I think of David. When you look at the David's life, an incredible thing occurs. You see him uh, being chased by Saul throughout the Judean wilderness, having to wander into Gentile cities and, and desert places in order to be protected against an unjust pursuer and attacker of himself. 
And we see throughout that that he remains faithful and joyful in his service of the Lord. But what happens later in life? He's in a palace. He's surrounded by wealth and prosperity. He's got other people fighting his battles for him. I think he even has a couple wives at this point. But what does he do? He looks over and sees Uriah the Hittite's wife, Bathsheba, and longs for him. He was able to overcome the temptations of the wilderness, but not the temptations of the palace. Paul here says it's important to have a contentment and a sustenance that will maintain you in either circumstance, both being brought high and being brought low. We find our strength. We find our joy. We find our contentment in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Verse 13 is one of those verses that is overly misapplied. (laughs) We have, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, one of the things I want to emphasize to you, saints, is that if you take a text out of context, all you're left with is a con. If you take a text out of context, all you're left with is a con. Now, for, for example, if we read verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, you wouldn't cut it in half and say, I can do all things. That's what this passage means. Well, so you say, no, you wanted the whole thing. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But then a lot of times people take this passage and they separate it from the rest of the paragraph. What is Paul talking about in in this paragraph? He's talking about a way in which he can be content no matter what the circumstances, whether he's brought high or low, when he's going through difficulty or good times. He's saying in, in any and every circumstance, I know how to be content. And the way in which I do that is through him who strengthens me. Christ strengthens him to be content in all circumstances. How do most people use verse 13? Well, I'm going to use the power of Jesus to get me out of any difficult situations. We're going to, I'm going to use him to succeed in business or to succeed in athletics or to succeed in these different areas so that I never have to depend or rely upon him in difficult situations. You see how the text begins to be used in a little bit of a wrong way when you're not looking at the proper context. He finds the strength in all these circumstances, not from the circumstances, but from his Savior who strengthens him. The scripture says the joy of the Lord is our strength. 2 Corinthians 3, 5 says, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. The reason why Paul can remain steadfast, the reason why Paul can remain secure, the reason why Paul can overcome both adversity and prosperity is because he is rooted in the person and work 
of Jesus Christ. That is where he finds his joy. That is where he finds his identity. That is where he finds his security. And as a result of that, he will not be shaken. He will not be moved. Now, there's a a particular joy that we can have and experience as believers when we have this mindset, when we have this attitude. Uh, When we have our joy and our security in Christ, it actually leads to us enjoying and prospering more in life than if we put it in stuff. Because as we mentioned, the people who try and find their prosperity, their joy, their security in stuff go through all the ups and downs as they gain and lose stuff. And usually once they have the stuff, they just want more stuff to try and make them feel secure. There's an interview with uh, Simon Cowell who does, you know, The Voice and America's Got Talent. I looked up online before this message uh, to see how much he's worth. He's worth uh, $550 million dollars. And somebody was interviewing him and asking him one time, you know, how much money is enough? And he says, it's always a little bit more, isn't it? If you're finding your sustenance in in those things, it's like trying to put out a fire by throwing more logs on it. It's not going to accomplish its goal. So, The world, as it finds its joy, its sustenance in these things, really it just leads to a continuing and a deepening emptiness, whether they achieve it or whether they don't achieve it. Because either way, the covetousness continues to grow. And by the way, I think oftentimes in, in the church, we just take those same concepts and kind of baptize them and act like they're Christian. I've just got to take care of my family. I've just got to take care of uh, these accounts. But really, what are we doing? We're relying upon money. We're relying upon the things of this world to accomplish our purposes. If we find our joy, our sustenance in Christ, it leads to a deeper enjoyment of things. And I I realized this the first time, uh, one time when I was driving uh, with Pradeep, who used to be the missions pastor here. And he said, you know, I think Christians have the ability to enjoy things more than anybody else. I said, why is that? He says, well, because you don't have to rely upon them to meet your every need. You can just enjoy them for what they are and thank God for them. That's what Paul's doing here with this gift from the Philippians. He says, hey, I'm real thankful for this. This allows me to rejoice in the world. This is a good thing. But you know what? If it didn't come, I'd still be content. So the good things that come our way, we're allowed to enjoy. We don't hold on to them tightly and desperately, but we can either enjoy them and give thanks to God for them, or we can pass them on to others. We see that in the Philippians model as well. Uh, the, The church at Philippi, other than Lydia, wasn't necessarily a really wealthy church, but they were a really generous church. When Paul commends them in other scriptures, he talks about how they gave out of their need. They find their joy in giving to the purposes of the Lord. They're not overly attached to the things of this world. So it allows them to give them out with a free hand and with hope and expectation that they will still be provided for by God. He is their all. 
This contentment in things allows us to enjoy things without needing them to fulfill our innermost desire. Have you ever had that experience that there was something you wanted so badly, so desperately, and and then when you got it, it was like, ah, it doesn't quite fulfill the need. It doesn't quite satisfy the longing I have. You know, when you're a kid, it was a lot of times Christmas. You know, Christmas was always the anticipation. Oh boy, I've got all these presents. This is going to be great. And then you open them and open them and open them. And then at the end, how do you feel? That's it? There's no more? (laughs) Why? Because you're so concerned about the things. You're so concerned about the stuff. And stuff ultimately doesn't satisfy us the way that Christ does. Another thing that happens when we find our joy in this way is uh, it's a reflection of the self-sufficiency of God. We serve a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who existed eternally before the creation of the world in perfect love and harmony. He created this world to have an extension of his love, not because he was needy, but because he had wanted to have ones with whom to share his love and his glory. God is self-sufficient in and of himself. When we rely upon God and his goodness and his glory, we're tapping into that self-sufficiency of God. We're, we're reflecting the fact that he is in all, for all. We find our sustenance in him. Uh, as we do this, there's ways that it also should reflect out in the way we treat others. Uh, one of the Puritan I mentioned, William Ames, says, Joy for the prosperity of our neighbor, as if it were our own, is part of contentment. Romans twelve fifteen reflects this as well. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. When we find our joy and our sustenance in Jesus, it allows us to relate to and enter into both the joy and the suffering of others to a deeper degree because we have all our needs met in Christ. Where are you finding your joy? Where are you finding your sustenance? Are there things of this world that you're coveting, that you're wanting, that you're focused on rather than Christ? I'd like to exhort you with the words of the old hymn. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full on his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen.